My motivation here was to open people's eyes to what goes down in Silicon Valley, where it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It is very fierce, and there's fierce competition, and there's also games that are played with powerful institutions and you know, groups of people who uh, you know, help each other out. Don't chickens have two wings? Yeah, but it's not their actual wing. Hey, what's up, Ryan? What's up, Sean? Sam? What, what is it? Dude, you can, you can settle this for us. Uh, so, Sam, uh, this is Ryan. He's the, the, the founder of Bolt. And uh, we're, having a, we're just going over this detail. Are chicken wings actually the chicken's wings, or are they just like the ribs of the chicken? I think they're the wings. What's a drumstick? You think they're the actual wigs? I feel like they're not the wigs. Yeah. Like kind of Sean, this is like this is like a, a, such a stupid conversation. Team. Of course they are. Like, what's a drumstick? Ben, is a drumstick a leg? Pow- powerful young Ben. Ben, look that up. See, see if I'm right. I think I think I'm right. Um, and, all right. Uh, so, so we should we should switch gears. Uh, okay. So Ryan's here. I met Ryan in uh, where were we hanging out? L.A. Okay, I was in L.A. I'm at this dinner, and um, and Ryan's across the table from me. And at this dinner, everybody kind of like dressed up because it was at uh, the dinner was at the owner of an NBA team's house. And, um, you know, so most people are pretty dressed up. I see this one guy who looks like I'm like, is this a TikTok star? Like, who's this guy? He's got earrings. He's got this like tie dye shirt on. He looked totally different than every other kind of like business schmuck at this thing. And I was like, oh, what's up, man? Like, what's your I was like, like, I'm literally in my head. I was like, this guy's definitely a TikToker or a YouTuber. Uh, I, I, he's got this like char- charisma about him. I feel like that's who he is. And he's like, no, I'm Ryan. I, you know, I started a uh, payments company. I was like, oh, what is it? Bolt. And I was like, oh shit, I know Bolt. That's amazing. And we ended up becoming friends, uh, ended up investing in the company. And you ended up getting Twitter famous over the last few months, my friend. And I wanted to have you on to talk about a couple things. The, you've done some pretty impressive stuff at a young age. I want to talk about, I want to give people the background of that. And then you currently have some spicy Twitter shit going on. I want to give, get your take on, on some of those things. Um, welcome to the show. I don't know if you've ever listened, but we have a very casual business show. Yes. Yeah, pleasure to be on, Sean. I've been looking forward to doing this, and I think we picked the perfect time. <laughs> and Sam, what do you know about Ryan besides what I just told you? So I was Googling you. So I, I, I saw your Twitter come out of nowhere about a month and a half ago. And Sean told me all about Bolt. And he told me about this dinner that he had. And so Bolt is a payments company uh, that is at like 11 or $14 billion in market or valuation. So it's a huge company. What I know is that you look incredibly young. And on your bio, maybe on LinkedIn or something, or maybe Twitter, it says that you've started two or three companies that are worth about a billion dollars, including a bunch of crypto stuff. And when I was Googling you today, one of the first images that comes up, it's beautiful because you're tweeting about mobs and mafias. You're, the Forbes headline is, meet the Stanford Bitcoin mafia. <laughs> and it was a picture of you and like three friends. And so I know you've got your hands in a bunch of stuff. So, Ryan, what's the what's your claim to fame? So this is the part you don't have to be humble. Just give people the the reason why they should be listening. Who is this cat? Uh, what have what have you done? What's your claim to fame? Well, my claim to fame is, I think I've you know I operate pretty fearlessly, and um, I've you know 
done a lot of things that uh, that I think I've told been told I shouldn't be doing. So I think this business I've been told by many people I shouldn't be doing that would never be possible. And uh, you know we've written the framework on culture uh, on conscious.org. People are like, who are you to write about culture? Now we have close to 100 companies pledging that culture. We've written books, done four day work weeks. So you know I think we're thinking differently myself and the whole Bolt team. And I'm very proud of that. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. And so walk us through um, the, I, I don't want to go too far into what Bolt is. I'll give kind of like the TLDR on, on, on the, I'll, I'll oversimplify it. You might cringe a little bit as I oversimplify, but basically um, the way we pay for things online is, uh, you know, some people shop at Amazon and Amazon says, hey, one click, check out, we got your stuff saved. And then you have Shopify and Shopify has a bunch of stores. Now Shopify has Shopify pay, which says, Hey, you've shopped at a Shopify store before. You can check out that way. If you want, Apple's got Apple pay. They let you pay at some places. And what you've done is you went to like, you're like, Hey, you know, even though those, those companies are huge, they're monstrous. The internet's a lot bigger than that. There's a whole bunch of stores that aren't on Shopify. There's a whole bunch of platforms like uh, Pinterest uh, where people go and they find products they love and they love to be able to check out. And as somebody who owns an uh, e-commerce store, you, uh, I, I felt this pain many, many times, which is you can look at how many people just drop off at the checkout because they don't want to type in their name, their first name, last name, address, credit card, you know, zip code, blah, 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 every single time when they're on their phone and they're on the go. And I just see how, like that's the biggest drop off in our whole store. And it's like, shit, what could I do about that? Like, wouldn't it be amazing if there really was a way to just check out at any store have your information saved. It would make a merchant like me more money because my drop-off would be lower. It would make the consumer experience easier because I don't have to type in the same shit over and over and over again. Um, and it has this like network effect where the more stores who use something like Bolt, the more shoppers have a Bolt account. Now every single store benefits because that account can be used on all these different stores. Amazon is going to work on Amazon and Shopify is going to work on Shopify, but the world is a lot bigger than that. All right. How did I do out of 10? Did I, did I, did I get it or what I missed? Sean, that was like pretty epic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to put you in customer calls. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm, I'm down. So, um, so that, so you create Bolt and you're saying at the beginning, people told you don't do this or it can't be done. What, what's an actual story that happened there where somebody kind of told you, look, look, man, it's not going to work. Okay. So I have a pretty extreme story. I went to one of the, you know, tier one uh, Silicon Valley firms, someone who is a PayPal, led, you know, not PayPal, sorry, a payments legend, um, not PayPal mafia, but a payments legend, yep. big firm, big name. And I went and I told them about what we're, what we're doing. And they spent the entire conversation telling me why this couldn't be done. And that you know they actually got mad during the conversation and then after the conversation they saw one of the people on our team because we were recruiting top people was that another company they were involved with 
spend three hours trying to convince that person not to join us <laughs> and to join other portfolio companies. And so it's amazing. You know, I think everybody coming from the payments space, the OGs, they have real, you know, they've been in the sausage factory. They see how hard it is. Um, but I think there was a little resistance to the fact that there could be something this disruptive that's this obvious. And uh, we just, you know, decided to go ahead and do it. What were you, and I want to hear all about that, but what were you doing before this, before Bolt? Uh, Sean had mentioned I, I dropped out of school. It's, so a little bit about my background. First job was bagging groceries. Did that for three years. And then I started going to the internet to make money, started some websites, online businesses, ran a web development agency working for a lot of other customers. So that's where I learned everything there is about e-commerce. And then I was lucky to get into Stanford, started the Stanford Bitcoin group with some friends in early 2013, many of which have gone on to do amazing things. And I dropped out of school in 2014 to focus entirely on crypto. I'm like, crypto is going to change everything about payments. I still believe. But about a year in, so mid-2015, I was like, wait a second. Why has nobody solved this checkout problem? If you create a checkout and all the users who go through your checkout enroll in shopper accounts, you could create the most powerful, important shopper network, payment network on the planet. And so this is a site I couldn't unsee. And I decided to go you know, realize, like learn about the space. The more I learned, the more I realized this was an opportunity. And so we started building and, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's, that's the story. Did you, did you, did you, you dropped out before, I mean, you're probably what, 21, 22, you dropped out at a young age. Did you, did you just like knock it out the park with crypto to the point where like money, you, you fix money's, good, you're good. Now you're going to go and start things. Did it happen at that young of an age? Unfortunately, it did not. I had this mentality that I was going to build things in crypto, not invest in it, which was a very costly Uh. mentality. I had like a little bit of crypto. I mean, you know. But you you didn't become, you know, F you rich. No, not at all. Um, So I had to, uh, both had to make it. I was couch surfing. Like I didn't have enough money to like even rent a place to stay, so I was count. A friend texted me before this podcast, and he said, "Ask him like how wealth like uh, be like." Well, he already got really wealthy from Bitcoin. Is that why he's like so brash now? And so you've kind of just answered that question. You weren't weren't. And at Bolt, I started off at a forty k salary, and for about five years, it never got higher than sixty k. So I was living paycheck to paycheck. I wanted every dollar to maximize Bolt's outcome. And just recently, I sold a very tiny amount of shares um, just to kind of pay for some expenses. But up until a month ago, I hadn't sold a single share almost eight years into the journey. What about your other businesses? You didn't sell any so, of those so either. So you also helped start Eco, right? Yeah. Uh, or now known as Eco. Uh, your buddy runs it, I think, uh, who's also, what's his name? Andy he's, he's super like impressive as well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't want to go too much into eco because your Twitter stuff's frankly just more spicy right now. But basically, you kind of helped the what just with the vision of that or the, the, the kind of the initial strategy of that. 
Yeah, so I, what I can take credit for is I helped build an awesome team of founders and inspire some of the ideas, but they have really manifested Eco into what it's come, become today. Uh, the founders there have drove amazing vision, the ones who are on the ground every day, and they've executed. And so I've played a part in the journey, but Andy Bromberg is one of the CEOs I have the most respect for on the planet. Henry Alt, Ryan Sachs, Joey Krug there have done uh, miracle work. Cool. And, and so let's talk about this Twitter thing. So you came out the other day and you, you basically said, look, um, you're like Bolt, uh, you know, we, we've become successful now. But it wasn't uh, without kind of some some challenges and there's like the normal business challenges. And then there's sort of the like the challenges of the powers that be. And in Silicon Valley, there's two kind of like very powerful. And in, in most people's minds, you I think you picked a fight with people that very few people had bad things to say about Y Combinator and Stripe. Right. Stripe is probably like the most beloved startup in Silicon Valley, respected, beloved, whatever. And uh, and YC is also, you know, the most powerful sort of like a brand you know it's like basically if you're gonna pick on a college you pick on either stanford or harvard if you were going for the top and uh and you basically told the story about them being the mafia and so i want you to kind of quickly uh can you quickly bullet point the, the what your argument was for people who aren't nerding out on twitter and aren't seeing it because this the audience we have here is not gonna have seen it so bullet point that and then i got some questions for you yeah so the point is my motivation here was to open people's eyes to what goes down in Silicon Valley, where it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It is very fierce, and there's fierce competition, and there's also games that are played with powerful institutions and you know groups of people who uh, you know help each other out. And so, if you're starting a company, especially in payments, you've likely failed. There's, you know, the only ones that have been as successful have been internationally. Um, and we probably should have failed five times over with investors pulling out of term sheets when we were about to run out of money. And so we, I'd say Bolt almost didn't exist because of the powers that be, the powers that be, and you know, I think there are a lot of other companies that would have existed today if it wasn't for the powers that be. And so, you know, now I don't blame these institutions. But, but yeah. well, I, you're, you're, I, I, I don't know if you're doing this on purpose to be kind, but you're kind of being vague. Is it possible that you could, like, what does institution mean? And gain, are you able to, like, actually... Well, let, let's it, separate out, right? There's, there's fair, fair uh, you know, fair business games, which is like, we're competing against somebody. That's fair. They can compete with us fiercely. There's um, investors just deciding uh, this space is too competitive or Stripe's going to win. I've just got to, I'm just going to back away. Right. So a perception thing. That's kind of like, nobody would say that that's unfair. Talk about the specifics of what you felt was unfair or where, you know, some, some, uh, some, there was some heavy handedness to it. 
Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so when we would be pitching investors, they'd get interested. They'd say they want to invest. And then they would talk to somebody at Stripe, someone related to Stripe. And either be told they can't invest, or they shouldn't invest, or somehow the conclusion was they were dissuaded from investing. But how do you know that that's what happened? Many right? of they them might just come to you and say, we're not told interested. told me, the Stripe would always come up somehow in that conversation. So many of them told me directly. I have investors say directly, I got a call by Stripe, and they told me I can't invest in you guys. Is that bad though? I mean, what if they if they were already an investor of Stripe? I, I, I understand like I that. I have but, a conflict of interest, right? Yeah. But you know, Stripe has like all the big names in Silicon Valley invested in them, <laughs> and so they've intentionally put every single you know tier one firm on their cap table, and they even stuffed them with small checks. They're like everybody's on their cap table, right? And so you know, from and then they say you're conflicted out. Right, that's a competitor of ours. You're our shareholder. Don't invest. right, exactly. And I didn't even, you know, consider ourselves a direct competitor at the time, but I think they're very guarded about anything in their periphery. So I've heard the same story from companies, you know, doing card issuing. I've heard the same stories from companies doing subscription payments, and then Stripe would roll out their own product next. So it's almost as if they have these feelers out. Anything that's tangential, they make sure that it doesn't get off the ground. And then they go and build it. Um, and so... Is there, any, is, is there any side of you... So the way that you're phrasing it, and it, I would like to figure out what, what my opinion is. I don't have an opinion yet. Is, is like, that's unethical. But one maybe could argue and be like, well, that was just a savvy strategy. strategic move right. to like get everyone on board. And, you know, that's just like, that's, just like, that's, a, that's fair. Is, uh, do, you, do you see that side of it at, at all? Or do you think that like the way they went about it, their intentions were, the intentions matter here. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I've never told a single investor you can't invest in somebody. Right? And so to me, like everything is fair competition. And if someone wants to invest in a company tangential to me, I tell them, go for it. We've even invested in tangential. I've invested in tangential. I think... You know, innovation is good. I have a very long-term perspective. So when you're calling investors, say you can't invest in this company, like even if they're not on the Stripe cap table, it's investors too that are not on the Stripe cap table. To me, that's just not how I would do business. And I also want found the next generation of founders to go into building with an eye, their eyes wide open. Because I invested eight years of my life into this business not knowing about the games that go on. Right, And so the most important thing I'm exposing here is if you're coming to Silicon Valley, you have an idea, you're quitting your job, putting a lot on the line, like get ready for war. Like it's, it's, it's serious. 
and there will be people who do not want you to exist, and you're going to need to be ready to battle that. And so one of the things you say is that, which is they basically hurt our ability to fundraise by telling first they, they, they kind of played good, good game theory, right? They, they got every invest, every big investor to get a little piece of Stripe because every investor wants a piece of Stripe. And then they said, cool, now you're conflicted out of investing our, our competitors. Okay. Some might say that's, that's shady. I personally just, I, I'm an investor in you, right? I'm a fan of yours. I personally would just say, okay, there's nothing unethical about that. You may not like it, but that's competing. It's like a, it's a strategy. It's a harsh, it's yeah, a, it, it's a harsh strategy. Okay. Fair enough. In the same way that like, I don't think it's cool that Mark Zuckerberg just copied stories or whatever. I don't think that's like, you don't get bonus points of respect from me, but I also don't think you did anything illegal or crooked, completely crooked, right? That's, that's, you copied something that was copyable. Okay, fair enough. The second thing you said is that they, uh, that YC, which has a huge stake in Stripe, um, controlled, they own Hacker News and that on Hacker News, people would be posting about Bolt. It would get, some play, it would go up the ranks, but that somehow there's some, you know, editorial shenanigans behind the scenes where all of a sudden the post about Bolt would disappear or get deranked. And then a post about Stripe would be up higher. And so you posted some examples of that. Now that I think, I think that's the summary of what you said. Uh, as that was happening, did you, uh, is that a suspicion or you're like, I know that that's what I'm happened. pretty sure that's what happened. Um, you know, cause we had uh, some posts, one in particular, that, you know, I'd written catered to YC audience. It was an unraveling of how we do fraud detection better and guarantee it with your payments, which was radical and new at the time. It had organically gotten to number one, held there. We had a ton of comments on it, just like very active people, very interested. You can go read all my comments. And then Stripe's post, I don't know if it was there before. It seems like they said it got posted technically before. But anyway, after it got to number one, theirs started to rise. And ours just started to fall and then disappeared. And so I don't know if it was editorial. There's also this downvote functionality. Right. And so you can also just have a bunch of your employees go and downvote or have a bunch of your friends. So, you know, whatever it is, they were able to get us off of there pretty quickly. Right. The the guys who started Stripe, the Collison brothers, I don't know them, but they seem um, from the outside like good dudes. Do you think that is that? Do you know them? And is that a, is that a character characterization that you'd challenge? Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, they don't meet my standards for good dudes. Uh, and so, you know, good dudes is not what you say publicly. It's what you do privately. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just think that like right now you're like a loose cannon and I love it. And I find it incredibly refreshing because from the yeah. outside, you've raised money from amazing people at a $14 billion valuation. You are like the guy right now. And I'm just... Sh I think it's cool and I'm shocked, but I think it's cool that you're, that you've just said that. I, I think that that's, I've never heard me, that before. Me and Sam both have uh, definitely like a rebellious streak in us. And we've told some stories on the pod about situations where, where we do kind of like not keep it muzzled. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that works to our benefit. Sometimes there's some, you know, um, collateral damage or some, you know, <laughs> some blowback from it. 
uh, I got to ask you, news came out, I don't know, yesterday, today, day before, you're stepping down as CEO of Bolt. Okay. Uh, did you get in trouble? What happened here? So stepping up into executive chairman. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> nice. That's, that's one of those said. things that you like come up in the shower and at bed at night, you write it down. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> you know, that was actually the truth. And, I know. you know, it's, but yeah, the stepping up worked well on Twitter. And, uh, and I promoted Maju because this guy is like, he schools me on execution every day of the week. So he started off running tech and product. They gave him COO, like 60% of the company reports into him. And just like my, that's not my superpower. Right? My superpower is, is creativity, is vision, is culture, is landing epic deals for the company. So now I get to spend 100% of my time on that. So this is something I've... Yeah, but the, the, the timing is weird, right? Everyone, a lot of people online, even though it's not true, they say Ryan got fired because of what he said. Well, our, you know, this is, this is the start of our fiscal year. Ends basically January 31st, starts February 1st. And so this was the timing we had planned on for a while. And so then I had some people saying, you don't think we should wait. People are going to think it's related to the tweets or whatever. And I used to have fear about those types of things. In the past, and I think this recent episode has just locked me into my fearlessness even more. I'm like, F it. Like, let's just do it. And as everyone's going to gossip and, you know, interpret it in their own way. And I actually think that's great. Right. You're, you're I, crazy. I, I, I like it. Yeah, I respect that. And also, um, I respect the move. Not the, the CEO part. Right. Great. That's, that's fine. I, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But. Uh, for the for the content that you're putting out, so um, we've talked before about about how to pick a fight. In fact, there's a there's a passage from a book called Rework called Pick a Fight. It's a marketing strategy, and it's like a two page thing. And I remember uh, earlier on the pod, I had literally read it word for word because I was like, "This is a great idea." And I think this is when um, the guys from Thirty Seven Signals were picking a fight with Apple uh, and saying, "You know, this is not right." Or Fortnite, you know, Epic Games from Fortnite was picking a fight with Apple. And, um, and we talked about, you know, there's a, there's an art to doing this. Like first, you know, you can't just completely make something up, right? You got to have actual reason to pick a fight, but then you want to pick a fight. Not when you're punching down, you want to punch up at, you know, the, the, whoever is the sort of like the power. Um, and when you do that, you're going to get this groundswell of a attention, B support and C other stories will come out of the woodwork. That'll make you seem even more credible. And, um, and you get your name out there. So like, you know, I don't know how many people knew about Bolt before this because it's like, okay, you know, check out technology is not the most like in your face. You know, it's not Snapchat. It's not like a pup, like, like a product everybody uses. Um, but a lot more people know about it now. And so how conscious were you? I mean, how strategic was it that you were, uh, you were thinking, you know what? Like, I think if we come out with this story, yes, I'll be helping people understand how the game is played, but I think this will be good for Bolt too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Doing what you believe to be right will always pan out in the end. And so I think this was, I stand by this decision. I think it's great for both. It shows the world who we are as a company. It's, it shows that we're going to stand up for what's right, no matter how controversial that may be. 
Uh, we're gonna stand up to the big guys, which is literally what our entire product is about. And what I wrote to my team, you know, when I was doing this, I said, just because our company is worth billions of dollars, you know, I'm not gonna become a sellout founder. Like, it's w worth way more financially for me to go become buddies with all these guys, right? But every cell in my body, like, my, my spirit won't let me do that. And so for me, it was a way of telling the world who I am as a leader. And I'm trying to, you know, set an example of fearless leadership for the next generation of founders because um, I think we lack it. Like, I can't point to too many leaders in this country who are truly fearless, who stand up for what they believe in. And I think a lot of leadership is fear-based. And uh, I think we have to kill that. I, I agree with you. I, I'm, I'm entirely on board with you. Um, I think the... I don't, I don't actually think this is my stance, but I... In fact, it's not my stance, but at first it was, but it's changed a bit. And that's that, like, I don't know if what you're saying is necessarily true. And I saw a lot of people who used to have your position where they're the underdogs, like Sam Altman and Gary Tan. They're not anymore. Now they're like the man, you know, the folks in charge. But And they're like, this guy, Ryan, is lying. He's false. He's he's just full of it. And so it's like really hard to take a side right now because of this he said, she said, even though I, I totally agree with you that they are this like cool kid group. And it's always fun to stick it to that cool uh, kid group. Honestly, the things you said that they did, the, this is like actually credit to you. The things that you said that they did are not even that bad. Like the he said, she said doesn't even really matter because it's like if they did it, okay, even if they did it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, if they didn't do it, nobody's going to know how to prove it. Kind of doesn't really matter. I think you pointed out the overall power dynamic and that's what was yes. important. And then you just uh, like got your story out there about who you are, your bolt, what your point of view is, whether people agree with you or not, that's their choice. But, uh, but I think it's actually... It actually emphasizes how brilliant the the tactic was that it's not even like the most scandalous, you know, Theranos. Does this work? Is it a giant fraud? Is it deception at the highest levels? No, it's not. Even if the accusation is true, it's not. But it got so much play because of A, you're a good writer and B, um, everybody is so afraid to say a word against them. Like I got one of my, my most viral tweets was then I came out and said the clubhouse is going to fail. And um, here, here's why I think here's how I think it goes down. And, uh, and it's because at the time clubhouse was the darling. Every VC was fighting to get into the deal. Everybody was on clubhouse every night talking about how great clubhouse is. That was the only topic they knew what to talk about. And that's why it faded quickly. Cause if you go on the product and all you can talk about is the product, it's going to fail. Um, and, and so, and I got privately, I got a bunch of messages from high profile people who are like, dude, I could never, I can't, sorry, I can't retweet this to like show support for this <laughs> just cause of, you know, politics. But dude, I totally agree with you. I like, or like, I'm glad somebody fucking said it. I don't believe in this shit at all. Uh, I had one person, you know, these are all blue check marks. Do people must be smoking crack if they think that this thing is going to work. And so did you get like the, the DM back channel support of people who are like, look, I can't come out and I don't want to get YC on my bad side, but like, dude, you're so right. Hundreds, you know, exactly. If I, if I was, if I had any nervousness about doing it beforehand, the outpouring that I got afterwards just gave me all the conviction in the world that this was the right thing to do. Because hundreds of founders reached out to me, thanking me, many of them sharing their stories with me about what encounters they've had. 
Um, and, uh, you know, this, this stuff is happening. This stuff is rampant. And so, yeah, I had all of those messages. All, all you were missing, you needed a movement people could uh, could rally behind I and needed say, a hashtag. You know, YC has done this to well, me why, also. Yeah. The problem is, why is everyone so afraid? Right? Well, yeah. why are you asking that question? You know the answer. Right? You already said the answer, which is you'd be significantly more financially successful if you just were to shut up. And so that's why I asked you that question. Are you already very financially successful? On paper, just on bolt, you're very, you're set. Uh, that's on paper. But that's why I was asking, do you have this like crazy Bitcoin stash? But, do but, but you, I, did I you think, have this other stuff? I think even in this like tiny version of the interview, you've actually heard four or five examples like dropped out of Stanford. Uh, it takes some guts to do that when you don't have like, Something else that's working amazing. Yeah, but that's like, what I was asking. I dropped out I to support. To know, I dropped out to, to focus on Bitcoin when Bitcoin was nothing at that time. That's fearlessness. Start payments company to compete with, uh, you know, like one in one of the most like vicious fields uh, where everybody tells you everybody everybody who's smart that you respect tells you that this ain't going to work. Fearless number two, going on the four day, basically saying we're going to only do four, four day work weeks because I believe in X Y Z in terms of company culture. Coming out against Y C right. So that's actually like several uh of these kind of like you know it's like when i invest in something i've looked for like a breadcrumb trail it's like oh actually i see a trail of this person doing you know really bold things or uh you know clever things or hacking different systems i think they're gonna the next thing is just gonna be more of that and so you know that's i think that's pretty cool i wanted to to switch gears a little bit and ask you um you uh you are an idea guy in fact and when we were uh driving home from the dinner you were telling me some different, like, I was like, how'd you get the idea for Bolt? How'd you get the idea for Eco? And I just kind of got the, got the sense that you're an idea guy, but you're fully, you know, you've been fully locked in for eight, eight years doing one idea. So I want you to get out that little note sheet of uh, other opportunities, other things that you see that you don't have the time to do or the energy to do or the interest in doing, but you think that these are opportunities that exist. Did you bring any ideas for me? I brought some. Okay, oh. fire them off, and we will we will react to them. So you give us the quick pitch, and we'll react. Okay, this is a big one. I think a lot of people are going to do it if they hear this, so I hope they do. <laughs> I think someone needs to start an investment bank for early-stage companies where they help okay. introduce you to a bunch of investors. You know, they sanity check your deck and materials. They blast off a bunch of intros which is 99.9% .9 of the value that YC has, right? And they don't even do that. They don't even send personal intros. You're one of 400 companies, right? So now you're you know, the right. company that's being introed. You're a serial number. Right, you're, literally. And so <laughs> um, somebody needs to do So that's what I do personally. I've probably done that for 200 companies, half the size of a YC batch I've done this for personally. So for founders, it doesn't take very much time. You know, if you have the contact list, if those people trust you, right, you can do it with one email and then a bunch of follow-up intros right. if investors are interested. And, you know, maybe half an hour, 60 minutes with the founder, making sure their materials are good, giving them some feedback. So I think there needs to be an investment bank for all stages of company building. That's actually a really good idea. How would you, uh, where would you... Well, what would be the business model for it? So would you take a percentage of the raise? Would you take equity? Would you take a referral fee from the VCs who want this deal flow? Yeah, what would I mean, you, do? you take far less than 7% of the company. You maybe take a certain percent of the amount raised. 
right? And then maybe a little equity. So that's what I do. For earlier stages, I take, you know, anywhere from a few percent to high single digit percent of, of the capital raised. And then I would take a little bit of equity. And that's... You do this. Ryan does this. I do this. How much, how, how, how much money have you raised for other companies? A ton of money. I mean... I don't know what that means. A hundred million or a billion or 10 million? <sighs> One company could be... Yeah, I mean, through intros too. that I've made, hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe upwards. And they've given you a percentage of that capital? Not the, no, I don't take a percentage of capital raised. So I used to, I, I sometimes do this voluntarily for free. If I like a founder, I don't take anything. And then for some, I take a little bit in advisor shares. It's usually less than a percent. It's usually less yeah. than half. This, right, this, half a, this is actually a great idea. This is actually a great well, idea. Yeah, I think it's a good idea too. But here's the thing. So I used to run this conference business and it was fun and everything. But the crappy part was the more successful the conference got, Meaning the more, in, I mean, you go, you either do more events or you have more people come or you charge more money. But when we, the more people who came and the more successful my event got, the worse it got and it sucked. And so would this, if you were doing this, would this be like that where the bigger it got, the less you're, you're like, oh man, he promotes everything or this brand promotes everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. You have to be picky with who, you know, who you work with. Right, you can't work with four hundred companies every quarter, and um, so sure. And and a company could do this. You could start your own firm, could team up with people. You can do it as an individual founder. You can do this. Um, so I think there's many ways to skin this cat, and many different models here. So this is just a, a seed of a thought. How did you build that reputation as both A, the guy who knows the investors and the, the investors trust and B, the guy that gets his fingers on the has his fingers on the pulse of early stage companies so much so that you're helping them raise money? Well, the secret that I'd share with any investors is treat founders really well and they'll refer other founders. Right? And so some do, do that early on, then they have a brand and then they you know, form an ego, right? And they forget how that brand was generated in the first place. And so the the firm that continues with that ethos and holds on to that ethos forever is going to build one of the greatest next generation firms um, there is. And so I, I developed a reputation from founders for being somebody they could call about literally anything that they don't have to mince their words, that they could trust, that has their back completely. Um, and so, you know, my only wish is I had more time, uh, which that's kind of the challenge. But I've, every ounce of available time I've tried to dedicate to the next generation. And, uh, it's, you know, it's the most rewarding thing I could possibly do. I like it. So let's give, uh, I like that idea. I think that's a good one. I've I've said this for a while, which is that, uh, like venture uh, investing is going into like a couple big categories. I think, I think there's like the big brands that are like, you know, their, their stamp of approval means like a lot for you, whether they're good or bad investors doesn't really matter. They're like the Harvard Stanford's of the world. That's Sequoia, YC, Andreessen, whoever else, uh, benchmark, whatever. And then there's niche specialists that are like, Oh, I know 
robotics better than anybody. And so I'm going to see all the robotics companies. I'm going to help them. And even if they get a Sequoia to invest in them, they'll also want the robotics expert in the deal. And then the last one is basically like venture services, which is, can you serve the founder in some way? So if you can help them raise their next round, uh, I think that's a, a, a smart way to basically get yourself into the right companies if, as, long as, you're, as long as your filter is pretty good. Uh, all right, what else you got? Give us another idea. Well, I think DAOs are going to change the world. So um, in continuation of, uh, of the spirit of investing in VCs, there need to be more VC DAOs where you invest in things as a DAO. And why is a VC DAO better than uh, a normal, you know, either individually investing or starting a traditional fund? Why is a, why is a VC DAO better? Because it relies on the collective intelligence of a group. I think uh, it's transparent in terms of how it makes decisions. Um, I think you can raise capital uh, more publicly. And I think your actions are more kind of on a public record. Um, so, you know, I, and frankly, the best reason is I think if you're an up and coming aspiring investor or VC, it's way easier because you don't have to spend five years building relationships with LPs. You can start a public track record investing within your DAO, and that track record will, you know, talk for itself and attract more and more capital. Right. What, Sam, um, have you have you heard of Orange DAO? No. What is Orange DAO? So Orange DAO is basically is, is what Ryan's describing, uh, but against you know his uh, his enemy uh, of, the, of the month, which is uh, YC. So basically, what it is is. It's a DAO, which means it's like a, if people don't know, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. Basically, in the crypto, it's the crypto version of a company. And um, so what it is, is basically they made it where a, only a YC alumni can and enter and only YC companies can get funded. So it's a it's an organization whose mission is to fund YC companies. And the all of the investors are YC alumni. So basically, it started off with like 10 or 20. Now there's a thousand YC alumni that are in this, they provide the capital. They also provide the deal flow and the diligence and the filtering and whatever else. And then they fund YC companies. And, um, and so if you're a, if you're a YC company, you could take money from orange Dow in addition to these other traditional funds. And with Dude. it, you're getting these thousand people. And the, and the, I think the Dow votes on the deal. So, the, so somebody proposes, I think we should vote. I think we should invest in this company. And then the Dow holds a vote. And it'll come back, you know, 70% say yes, 30% say no, let's invest. And it's I, like a, a, a group group investment fund like that. So I actually, I like Y Combinator. I think that the, like the Paul Graham, I love reading Paul Graham's work. I, I like a lot of that, guys. But when you're describing this, Sean, I understand. I am also frustrated. I'm like, oh, so the rich get richer even more and more. Like, it's just a, you, it's just a, it's a circle jerk that, that is never ending. And I... That frustrates me. I don't want to. Uh, I feel like I guess it's definitely part envy of like, well, I'm not in that crowd, therefore I miss out. And it's also part like David versus Goliath type of thing. Yeah, I can't stand clubs, um, and so it's yeah. I, I have that same feeling, Sam. It's just something about it doesn't feel right. And even if I was inside of it, you know, I've I've had the opportunity to join a lot of these clubs, and I won't do it because. You, it's also in your self-interest not to do it. You know, I could have obviously 
gotten the benefits of them. But, you know, now look at where I am. Like, I'm, I'm free to do what I want um, and to speak up how I want. And I don't owe any favors to anybody. And so people... But you, are, are, are you free, though? Why are, why are you free to do this? Because... Because he's, he's not in a tribe. He didn't, he didn't basically go into a tribe which has certain, like, rules. Yeah, but you've got... He's got, he has 600 employees who he doesn't want to completely screw over. You know, like some, if something bad happens to Ryan, that could negatively impact some of his people. He's got some investors. Look I, have out. A, I mean, yeah. I don't I you, have accountability. Maybe you're single, though, to my employees and my shareholders. Right. To make make them successful and better off. And I think that's enough. Like, I don't need I don't have all these other groups that I'm accountable to in addition to that that you know basically makes it impossible to say anything um, and so I, I, I consider myself fairly free where were you raised? Miami, Florida and what did your parents do for work? my mom was worked a local secretarial job my dad had a small business so I grew up very middle class I went to, you know, very lucky again to Stanford on, you know, almost entirely financial aid. So grew up without much money, went to a big public high school in Miami, 4,000 kids, um, grew up in a very diverse environment. So I got into breakdancing and stuff like that. So when I came to Silicon Valley in Stanford, it was like the biggest culture shock Ever, because Miami and Silicon Valley, it's like it couldn't be more opposite. Not anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, all right. Did you have any other uh, ideas you wanted to share with the uh, with the audience? Man, I so here's my general theme. Is, and I'll I'll reference Bolt for a second, then I'll talk about it broadly. Everything's getting decentralized. So if you think about commerce, Amazon was phase one, right? Network effects, economies of scale, data, everything, but on one domain, Amazon.com. And then phase two is you have Shopify, which is all of that power, network effects, economies of scale, tech scale, but on one end-to-end enclosed platform. Renzo Bolt is the network effect and the data and the tech economies of scale in a fully decentralized way completely unbundled, completely headless, completely tech stack agnostic. And that's why we're such a powerful force for commerce, right? That's why Maju, who's our new CEO, he centralized commerce at Amazon for eight years, ran all the logistics, came to us because he saw it getting decentralized and thinks we have the best approach to decentralizing commerce. So I think every industry is getting decentralized. I think purchasing, you're going to see a tidal wave of purchasing uh, platforms that help you purchase from your neighbors, purchase food locally. Um, I think the consciousness of our society is raising. I think we want to buy and purchase things that are good for society, that are sustainable, that are recycled more than things that are flashy. You know, I think more people are going to start wearing T-shirts. And so I know that wasn't a specific idea, but those are 
this is how I think about things. And with your with this whole new like with you kind of coming out and doing this Twitter thing and accusing these people, it it like a, a smart move. And you seem like you definitely are incredibly smart. Is like, you know, I'm mad at the, that this system exists, and it just so happens I'm working on a solution. Um, is that what you've got up your sleeve? Just might be. <laughs> uh, so what are you gonna do? To to be announced. Um, I've been working on ideas for a while. I think there are much better systems that could be created if you think creatively about incentive alignment. And uh, I have confidence that, you know, better systems will be created, not just by myself, but for others who may see this as an opportunity to go build. Well, you realize, I agree with what you're, I think what you're doing is smart. But like, if I was a hater, if I was Sam Altman or whoever is like disagrees with you, I would say, oh, well, he's talking shit because he's launching a competitor. And so what, what percentage, what motive... How are they each playing into this of like, I genuinely feel this way. And also I I'm, I have something up my sleeve. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't so distraught with how they operate. So, you know, if they were like a bastion of positivity, good advice. Um, and, you know, if they were super pro founder, I wouldn't be doing this but I fundamentally do not think they are. And so, you know. And they being Y Combinator. And are you, are you happy right now? Or do you have like a nervous energy in the morning because of what's going on? I mean, like I know sometimes when I do something that I like, I'm happy that I did. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, man, I'm getting a lot of hate though. Like this type of energy just bothers me. Where's your energy right now? Like Sean's thing about Clubhouse it kind of, it wasn't like a career maker, but like it wasn't that far from that. But like he was getting a ton of hate and like, I, I don't know, I didn't ask him, but I, well, maybe there was some nervous energy in the morning. Yeah, it's just where, like, I didn't like how much I started looking at my mentions that next 24, 48 hours because I was like, oh man, like that's two days of my life. I kind of let my main focus be, what are people's reactions to this? It was very hard to look away from that for me personally. And I'm pretty like strong-minded about this sort of thing. And very like, uh, I tweeted this out the other day, I want my attention to be very expensive, but I know once you get, you know, 20 million impressions on some tweet and you're getting 50,000, you know, replies or whatever, or the heart likes or whatever, you know, that's a flood of stuff you can go look at about people talking about me, people saying things to me. What are they saying? People hating me. Do I need to defend myself? It, it was a bit of a distraction for me. Yeah. So where's your energy right now? Are you nervous? Are you happy? Are you uptight? Where are you? Well, I'd be lying if I said I don't care what people think. I mean, I obviously do. In fact, I'm doing this because I care what people think so much that I want the right, you know, I want my opinions out there in the world. And so, you know, people can update how they think about these things. And uh, I'd say I'm faring with it pretty well. Like, do yoga and I meditate every day, every morning. And I stay pretty calm and grounded. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I feel more uh, com- more empowered than ever. Just like I've gotten so much love the last few days. It's been, you know, 95% love. And then it's all the people I expected to blast on the hate who 
came out of the woodworks, right? It was like Sequoia, VC, uh, y, you know, Paul, Sam, YC. Um, and so that was unexpected. I was actually kind of surprised at how just like crazy their messages were and how hostile they were like, you know, generally older, like you think they'd be wiser, but... What, what did they say? Were they say like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck you up? Or are they gonna fight you? Or did they say? I mean, like, what what would they say? Um, Paul nitpicked on a tweet of mine about Stripe Publishing, which basically said because I focused on that that this is mania. Um, you know, or I was manic or something like that. And then Sam like just com- like said something, and then he like corrected my spelling. Which is like, you know, what someone in... Yeah, I saw that. Why? He, 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 not even your spelling. He said white combinator. It's two words, not one. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but most, most, arrogant, most arrogant type and of comment like, you could do. I thought yeah. it proved my point, right? It's like, that's what you do in middle school, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then... Like, they might as well have just said, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and then Sean was just like, you know, called it, hor- like, used just horrifying words and just... You know, this, this guy, the guy, the guy from Sequoia, he, he basically was like uh, this. You know, he's making it sound like everybody was against him. But the truth was their numbers just. Weren't yeah. Yeah. Enough. He started commenting on my metrics. Like, just like, you know, it's, it's the only thing, you know, he could point like. First of all, VCs aren't supposed to comment on metrics. Second off, what he said was a blatant lie um, about our metrics. And so another just complete low blow. And so everybody who messaged me was like, all of those comments validated what you were saying. Like, these are the people you're putting on your cap table. Imagine when you have a disagreement with them as a founder, how they're going to treat you. You, um, I actually think this is going to be a net, net win for you. I think that like, there's definitely fear if I was you of like, man, is anyone going to work with me again? But I think like being a good natured loose cannon is actually a typically <laughs> a, a loose cannon. I like a that. good natured loose cannon. Yeah, because intentions matter. Intentions matter a lot. So like if you're a loose cannon, but you just want to hurt people, that's one thing. If you're a loose cannon and you generally want to help, that's another thing. That's lovable. So I actually think this is going to be a big benefit to, for you. Do you um are you single? Do you live alone, or do you have a girlfriend or whatever you're into? Um, and what what are they saying? Um, well, I have people close with. And, uh, like, everyone's super supportive. They're like, dude, you're doing what no one else, what everyone was afraid of doing. And I find if you're doing things that other people are afraid to do, you're generally in the right. So, you know, it's a, for me, that's a marker of, like, I'm on the right track. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're very supportive. Have you read the book 48 Laws of Power? I haven't, but I want to. I heard it's epic. You are doing it, so maybe you should go read it. And try to get it all done pretty soon because you are in the middle of a lot of like different strategies that the author discusses. Interesting. All right, I'll go pick it up. Yeah, and the author, his name's Robert Green. He's got another one called "The Thirty Three Strategies of War," of which you are also doing some of that. <laughs> but this is very interesting that you're like involved in this. What do you, What do you read on a uh, What have you read that's made an influence on all, this whole process of yours? Well, I read a lot of spiritual texts, 
And that has given me the fearlessness to make first principle decisions. Because when you're grounded in spiritual reasoning, you're not grounded in mainstream reasoning. And so that drove conscious culture, that drove four-day work week. I'm like, why are we working people to death? That's not healthy. Our health spiritually is very important. Sustainability is an important spiritual concept. We have to push four-day work week. And you know, monks, uh, certain monks, the more uh, higher on the spec, on, you know, wiser they are, more ascended they are, the longer their sleeps. And people are like, oh, wow, it's because they're more docile. And it's not the case. It's because they're actually, you know, more combative when they see something wrong in the world. And so for me, like I've found that kind of the further I've gone and kind of healing myself and healing those around me and going inward, the more fearlessness I've had externally. Um, and this is one manifestation of that. You are so strange. It is awesome. <laughs> you are so cool. I've, I've become a fan. Sean, I understand what you what you saw in this guy when you had dinner with him. Yeah, exactly. Um, dude, Ryan, thanks, thanks for coming on. 27. Yeah, like 28, right? 29? 27. You are the weirdest 27 year old I've met. That is what a unique, what a unique perspective. It just you're 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 interesting. TBD if 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 this battle, I hope I hope you win this battle, but like uh, you're definitely gonna win some big war. That's for sure. We're looking forward to it. Fight the war. Cool. Let's go. Um, <laughs> all right. So people people should go follow you on uh, on Twitter. I think that's the best spot. Uh what's your handle? It's like King Ryan or something? The like Ryan that? King. <laughs> the Ryan King. <laughs> why, why is that your name? I think it's fitting. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is awesome. <laughs> okay, there's a great meme. I don't know if you saw it, but you posted another. You posted a thread about the mob and the, and the YC mafia. Then you posted another thread why YC isn't worth it. And like one of the first replies I saw was this meme of like this wife asleep and the husband's like like reaching over to her and he goes, "Honey, wake up! The bolt guy did another thread." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so funny. Uh, so people should follow you. That on handle Twitter. actually. Uh, Ryan, for- my grandparents always used to call me the Ryan King. So. Call me uh, that growing cool. up, and I'll just like, oh, it's a great handle. Let's go for it. I love it, dude. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, and uh, good luck with all the uh, all the stuff. Thanks, going on. guys. Thanks, Sam, Sean. Such a pleasure. See yeah. ya. See ya. All right, Ryan just left. All right, what'd you think? That guy's. So, like, uh, let's separate this current. Like, do I think he's right or wrong? I I don't I haven't investigated him. I think he's right, May, maybe, but I haven't. I don't hold that that strongly. But as a person, this guy is a killer. I'm Team Ryan, uh, at, just in life. This guy is so unique. Unique, yeah. He uh, he's a very unique guy. He's got a very unique style of speaking. Uh, yes, like I I usually have a bias against people who speak slowly. <laughs> he talks so slow, but I loved it. And so. Um, and I, I've noticed that about myself that I'll like I'll instantly kind of okay this person's talking slowly. Uh, if they don't like have something super interesting to say right away, I find myself tuning out. But when I met Ryan, he was talking really slowly, but then he would say one thing that would just grip me, and I'd be like, "Wait, what?" And then he would say the next, and then it would like be another minute, and then he'd get me with another one and another one. I was like, "Wait, I think this guy might be one of the more." I was like, "How old are you?" He's like, I'm, "I think I met him when he was twenty six or twenty seven. And I was like, 
you're one of the weirdest and you said it perfectly you you go you are the strangest 27 year old i've ever met and it's awesome and that was my exact takeaway and then i was like i was leaving the dinner and i was like um you want to just hang more you want to uh, how about i drive you where are you going and uh, he's like oh that'd be great and he canceled his uber and he hopped in the car and i just drove him around we just talked some more because i found him to just be a very uh interesting person and um you know, I like the stuff that he stands for, um, which is great. In our text group ahead of this, people were saying, oh, yeah, you know, he probably has sold a ton of secondary. He probably made all this money on Bitcoin. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he's able to kind of be this like loose cannon and say whatever he wants. He said that that's not true. Yeah, and I don't think that that's true. I don't think he's a liar. I mean, but I obviously I don't, I'm sure he's doing fine. Right. Bolt's a 14 billion dollar company now. Uh, I think he yeah, knows and that's what I he said. can get fired and his equity will still be there for him. You know, that's okay. Like that, that wouldn't be, you know, I think that, that's the safety net. But like I had said in the thing, he's got a track record of just kind of doing things his own way. So I'm not really surprised. And I also think he didn't say anything bad. And all, I think actually it's a whole bunch about nothing. He did say something bad on the pod, though. He said, I am saying that the Stripe brothers are bad. Uh, I said, are, not do you think they're dudes. good dudes? Yeah. And he goes, no, I don't think they're good. To, I don't think they're good. Yeah, but that's what he, I don't think that's that bad. I, I, you're allowed to say, I, you know, I don't think these are these are good dudes. I think that's bad, man. I think that's bad. I think that 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 is a that's a very simple word, bad and good. But like, what's it's like to say someone? I don't think he's. I don't think this person's a good person. That's a really strong thing to say. <laughs> I feel like we say stronger than that every episode about people we know half as much about. So. But like I, I text you that all the time. I'm like, hey, this person messaged me. I, I might work with them on X, Y, and Z. Are they a good person? Right. And if the answer is yes, that's it. Right. If the answer is no, then that's it True. as well. Now, I would say I think the things that he said that they did, I don't think are that bad at all. And again, I'm an investor in Bolt. I sure. like Ryan. We're friends. So, you know, like I'm, I'm not agreeing with him that they're that bad even if they did it, but that's okay. Like he, he's totally allowed to think that those are fucked up things. Uh, I think that those are pretty much fair play. Uh, but I think it's really funny the way that people reacted to it. And I think it's really good for him and good for their brand, the way people reacted to it. So good on him for, for uh, using them in a way to build the the brand of what he's doing and also put his stake in the ground and say, this is what I think is right and wrong. I think they did wrong. Uh, you know, he's fair to say that even if I, my stake would have been 10 feet over to the left. I, I, this guy's interesting. That was a good find. So I don't know where the, in the episode, this little segment's going to go in the beginning and the end, but that's what we think about that guy. That guy was fascinating. I could talk to him for a long time. Yeah. I'm older than him, but I would like look up to him. And I think that in his, like, you know, when he was on here, I think he was, you know, trying to do a good job kind of representing what he stands for. Like, I think most people do. If you go, I think most people's default. If I get invited onto a podcast, I'm going to go on. I'm going to try to like, you know, say all the right things. So I think he was definitely doing a little bit of say the right things it stuff, but actually having talked to him in private, he actually was very similar where he's like, you know, I believe in this. I think it's going to be awesome. I think we're going to win. And I'd be like, yeah, but like, you know, we're just shooting this is late night dinner over two drinks. Like, but he was just like, I said what I said and I meant what I said, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think this is awesome. I think I'm, you know, this is the best. I think this is totally going to work. I think blah, blah, blah. So like, I think he has a very, uh, singular mindedness about what he believes in. And I think that's cool to, uh, to, to interact with. Cause I think most people, a don't believe anything B when they believe they'll hedge, uh, or C they'll kind of be wishy-washy about it where they believe when the lights are on and then when the lights are not on they're 
you know, why are you applying for a job? I thought you just said this is the company that's going to win. Oh, yeah, yeah, just in case. You know, like there's a wishy-washiness right, right, right. to a lot of people. I He has zero wishy-washiness. So, uh, you know, for better or for worse. And I, I'm upset at myself. I judged him as being far different just by looking off his profile picture. Uh, what do you think? He was not just that he was this, like, I thought he was what people accused me of being, of this, like, blonde hair, white bro who had everything in life handed to them who um, is going to be kind of um, maybe not as intellectual, kind of a, a, a an alpha, right. you know, like this this stereotype that it's not an insult necessarily, but I wouldn't be proud You're of like, it. If they that just think needed. I'm just like a good looking, strong, muscular, <laughs> yeah. successful guy. And I just feel like it's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not talking about myself, but like with him, I'm like, well, because he went to Stanford. He dropped out of Stanford, was in Bitcoin forever. So it was like crazy rich at a young age. He said he's from Miami, so in my head I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, fun. like uh, I got, fun. I paid you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is like this, this is this thing that you're calling life is a game for you. Right. And in reality, he was incredibly intellectual, very intriguing. I believe him that he that like I understand that you can be very wealthy on paper, but like he hasn't sold a lot of stuff, so like that's an interesting perspective. So I thought he was cool, different than what I thought he was going to be. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, cool. Let us know what you think. If you want us to do kind of more of these or less of these, uh, you can tweet at us. And, uh, you know, we, we take it into consideration. We don't necessarily listen, but we, we, we like to know what you think and that we may or may not do it. 